everyone. I'm Justine Ray, the Director of Customer Marketing here at Fix. And for many of the conversations our team has on a day-to-day -day basis, we know that there's a perception out there that manufacturing software just simply sucks so much. And I'm sure many of you have gone through various software implementation and no doubt they've probably had their fair share of challenges. But it is not all doom and gloom. Software doesn't always have to suck. And we're going to sit down today with the experts that you see on your screen, who I'm going to introduce shortly. And we're just going to talk about um, not only how software sucks, but also how you can set yourself up to have a great software experience. And looking at things like how did your company and culture potentially affect the software implementation? How to do the proper research to find software that actually works and solves for the pain points that you're looking to find solutions for? and how you can use uh, manufacturing software to connect not only manufacturing and maintenance teams, but your systems as well as your data. So our objective is really to make you feel empowered in selecting and implementing software and let you know the process isn't always as daunting as you might think. So I'm gonna kick off and introduce our panel uh, with Brian Sockett. He is the CEO of SensorTracks and he did a recent LinkedIn post you might've seen on this very topic. And it's really what inspired uh, or sparked today's uh, entire session because he just generated a ton of comments and engagement. So we wanted to uh, bring it live and get into a conversation with a few other panelists. So welcome, uh, Brian. So great to have you here. Thanks, Justine. Happy to be here. We also have Scott Deckers, who is our director of customer success here at Fix Software. Scott talks to a number of maintenance professionals every day, so he knows firsthand many of the frustrations that are out there. So welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me, Justine. And rounding out our panel, we are happy to have back Rob Kalvorowski uh, of Rob's Reliability Project. If you're not already following him and listening to his podcasts, uh, we suggest you tune in because he also delivers valuable content. He has knowledgeable guests that join his discussions and we're happy that he's taking a break from his hosting chair today and sitting in a guest chair with us. So great to have you here, Rob. Thanks for having me, Justine. All right, we're gonna get going with uh, Brian. So Brian, you started all of this on LinkedIn. So get us going on our first topic. So what, what really prompted this was just years of working with clunky ERP systems and them just driving me crazy. I owned a company that helped implement these things. And part of it's the software, but part of it too is processes and also expectations on the on the company side, right? So, you know, one thing that we see a lot of in uh, selling software now with sensor tracks is mismatch expectations. People assuming that something exists in the software and works a certain way. And it actually doesn't, right? Through the sales process, and you go implement it, and we have, um, you know, mismatched expectations there, and people get frustrated, and um, maybe it wasn't really the right solution for them. So really understanding your requirements and what it is you're buying is very, very important. Uh, and then the other thing that I harp on all the time, and I said it before, is that most of it's just so ugly, right? Like. ERP systems were written really in the 90s and early 2000s before the revolution of the iPhone that really made all this complex stuff simple and beautiful. Um, and a lot of that has not trickled its way into the manufacturing software world. So I think too, Brian, just to build on that, um, you know, you speak about building and beautiful UI interfaces, but um, I think I think it's intended audience too. You talk about ERPs, they're they're built for people with accounting backgrounds who have spent years and years and years going through spreadsheets uh, through school and, and through their careers. And so 
they might even say that some ERPs look beautiful, but uh, you know, when you don't build you don't build an ERP necessarily to work in manufacturing either. So I think that's uh, that's where you see a lot of the running is it's uh, you know different tools for different jobs. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that's part of the buy-in piece, right? Like you see it, like like I'm coming from you know I worked ten years in reliability engineering and asset management, and like that's where even the delta on this panel is is like like the user is a mechanic, a maintenance technician, an operator, a planner, a scheduler. Most of these people are not like sitting in front of a laptop all day. Most of these people are not even like they got into the trades so then they could turn wrenches, right? So I think there's sometimes a disconnect between what you think the user is supposed to be and what they actually are. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That reminded me of something. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard these words. Do you want me to enter data or do you want me to make something, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you go, when we would bring these MES systems and ERPs out to the factory floor, it's like you're taking 15 or 20 minutes of product, you know, productive time out of my day to enter this information because it's such a pain in the ass, right? And that's where the leadership piece comes in for me. Like I've always seen this in CMMS systems is something's new is implemented and you're asking them to put in failure codes, defect codes, more information, whatever. And and one is they never give them more time to do it. So it's like, you need to do this on top of everything else that you're doing and on top of me yelling at you because something else is broken that you need to go fix, but we want you to do. Um, and then the other piece of it is just like, there's no feedback back to the shop floor. So the data gets inputted. You have somebody like me who looks at it or another RE, or sometimes it doesn't even get looked at at all. Um, and then maybe a fix is implemented, maybe not. And then nothing really goes back to the shop floor saying like, hey, we did this because you told us something or hey, we didn't do something because you know, whatever justification you have for not doing anything. And like, that's where the buy-in piece loses. And then what you always see is like spike of data input, no feedback. And then after it's like, eh, why do I bother anymore? No one's like, no one's using it. Yeah, no one gets the context of why. I think it's like the, the why you go buy any software, whether it's CMMS or any manufacturing software is to improve things. But if you don't tell people that you're actually improving things, then like, what, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you have to message that right too, you know, so you could like with, with our software, you, you're trying to understand efficiencies and throughputs of the plant and you could use it as a stick to say, Hey, you're a terrible operator and you don't know what you're doing. Right. Or you could use it more as a, I don't know, a carrot or a reward system where it's like, Hey, you know, we're not doing this to fire you we're not doing this to tell you how bad you are we're just doing it to be able to improve and we need objective information to be able to, to improve i mean the same thing is true on the on the maintenance side and if you don't have that feedback and that good messaging of like scott said why are we doing this and what's the outcome and how can i affect that and how does it affect my job you're going to get what rob said which is that spike and and then no one cares anymore and then you've just wasted potentially millions of dollars and years worth of work on something that's giving you no value. I mean, yeah, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a hot take on that one, Brian. Is like, like I've always been a guy, like a data guy or a metric guy, and and actually, like I'm coming around on it. 
saying that like, I almost don't want to have metrics anymore because of the way that they're used. And like the way they are used in most places is bonus or to discipline. And it's very much reinforces this fear-based leadership culture that we have in industry. That's like not getting us anywhere. Mm. And like where, where you said the why, like the why is different from the CEO level to the shop floor level. The why for the CEO might be our stock price goes up and I get a bigger bonus. I look better in, you know, in the news, whatever that, whatever that is. But the shop floor why is like my job is easier today. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to run out and fix the same thing again today. Like it's just like that example we talked about before you jumped on was like, you know, these minute failures that we're having that we can eliminate it saves us, you know, like if we're getting 10 alarms a day or something, like if we can get rid of that, there's that frustration level that drops. And I think that's the, like, that's the piece that we're missing. Like we're missing the growth mindset, obviously around like getting better and continuous improvement, but we're also missing like why and the different whys for each person. Well, and and you, you made a point about leadership earlier, Rob, and I think um, you highlight, like, I think we talked a lot about leadership from like the top down, um, but you need leadership on the shop floor to, to drive that. Like like the shop floor leadership is all, arguably even more important to, to making sure this stuff sticks, making sure it's driving value, making sure everybody knows about the value that it's driving. Otherwise, um, you, you can't force this stuff through. Like, like you said, with the stick, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, like leadership is not management, right? And it's not right. about direct um, authority. It's more about how do you show up and how do you impact the people around you? And I think that that's the key piece that we're missing is a lot of what we see in industry is management, it's arm's length leadership, it's using metrics, it's using all these things that to be honest, don't really work. And like, that's why like, we have these same conversations weekly, like every week, and like our whole industry is not really performing that well. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, and what's <clears throat> what's interesting because I always harp on like the UI side because I'm a software developer at heart. Uh, you you can put the most beautiful application out there on the floor that's so easy to use and like requires a minimal amount of input, but if you don't have all of that leadership stuff that you guys are talking about and structure in place and people understanding why, it doesn't matter. Right. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. You can have the biggest piece of crap software out there and great processes around it and great leadership and you just crush it. Right. I mean, we've seen that like people have plants that are paper and pen and they're like, they actually do well because it's, they've done the rest of the work. Yeah. So it's, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's funny on some level, I was talking to a guy who owned an aerospace manufacturing company for like 20 years grew it to a pretty big size and he's like all problems are people problems well, right? interesting that sounds like a, a leadership problem to me not well, a people it depends, well it depends on how you look at it rob right so like if if uh lack of leadership right in in the ranks of a company is definitely a leadership it, like it's an issue it's a but it's also a people issue right um so you have to get your people to buy into it. And I think that's really what he meant versus like, I need to automate all the people out of my system. 
Well, yeah. No, I just, I just like it sounded like he's he thinks his people are not great or not trying hard, and I, I think that that's like, if you're starting at that point, it's probably not a good place to start. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Technology will not help you in that if you're starting from there. Yeah, well, and that's what I meant with the the no silver bullets, right? Technology is is a tool, right? Like the hammer doesn't swing itself. The technology is only as good as the, as the you know the system in place underneath it. So, um, yeah, makes sense. I guess let's talk about so the first question here, like what needs to be in place before software comes in the door? Like Scott, what do you think? I'm I'm a huge 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 proponent of uh, like a proper change management process. Like I I say ADCAR like several times a week. I talk about it all the time. Like it's got to start with a, like all all the the awareness, desire, knowledge stuff has to start has to start even before you start evaluating a tool, right? If if you need to you need to recognize that there is opportunity for improvement. Um, that's the time to build that growth mindset. That's the time to go recruit like your leaders on the floor get executive buy-in so you have like that that alignment like vertically through the company um and then and then that's that's how you set a foundation to go and make it work um and if, if you're not going to do the proper steps in the change management process you're you're actually shooting yourself in the foot <laughs> what, what about you brian you're, you're you got a grin on there i feel like i might have touched a nerve no i uh i agree with that um the uh, I, the one thing that I would add on top of it is what we talked about before is the why, right? So what many people try to do when you implement new software, is, especially as you go kind of down through the organization, is they try to take the same processes and everything that they did before in the old system, and they try to transfer it over. Yep. They want to make the pain of moving um, as minimal as possible, and nobody really likes change, right? Especially if it's forced on you by somebody else. Um, so really messaging the why and what it is we're trying to accomplish, which is part of change management and having people understand that and buy in, buy into it. So it's just adding another layer onto what well, you're talking. That's about. an important piece too, is like having it forced on you by somebody else is a bad experience. If you can get awareness and buy in and have people help choose what they're going to use as a tool, um, it makes everybody buy in before the tools even like at that point, it doesn't matter what you buy. Honestly, you can buy anything because everybody's on the same page that they need something. Right. But don't you like what I see or what I've seen a lot is like, what is like, like either your supply chain or your IT department is basically in charge of purchasing the software. And like, nobody really gets to feed into that, especially the shop floor. And like, Sometimes, yeah. you know, a reliability person will or a maintenance guy will, but it's rarely, it's rarely a mechanic or like, or even a planner or scheduler who uses the, the software. I mean, to me, that's a recipe for disaster, right? <laughs> yeah. um, the same, the same thing is true for, for like innovation departments. Like we work with a lot of them and, you know, they're tech people usually, and maybe one or two people from other, other areas of the business, but if you're going to do a pilot or you're going to implement software or do a software selection, you're not including representatives from the different areas of the whole company. It's a rep, it's a recipe for disaster. And if, if purchasing drives it, they're going to get the lowest cost option, which might not be right. If IT get, you know, drives it, it depends on the IT organization, but you know, they're going to do what's best for IT, not necessarily what's best for the whole organization. And it would be the same if manufacturing chose something and didn't involve maintenance or IT or, quality or purchasing, you know, you got to get everybody on board and in, in 
and involved in the evaluation. Otherwise, you're going to fail. Yeah, we have somebody at, uh, at our office. He's been talking about the idea of having a, an IT team, but also like an operations technology team that's, uh, that's looking at it through the lens of how, how technology improves operations and involves operations people, including maintenance in those decisions. And I, I just think it's like, it's so critical to think about it that way. I've seen some mine co mining companies move towards that. So they have, like obviously IT does a lot of the technical nuts and bolts of like maintaining yeah, like software, like but they have like, it's basically like an innovation team. And the innovation team is made up of people who've come through the ranks of like actually working in production or actually working in maintenance or, or they're, you know, those type of people. And so you have that perspective before it's like green lit, you have that perspective in the evaluation stage and like they understand what actually happens, which I think is another gap with respect to the purchasing process is sometimes the person who's buying it doesn't understand actually how the process works and how, or, or, you know, they don't understand how it works or how they it should work. And so like they're kind of shoehorning this thing into either a broken process or they have an, they think it does this, but it actually goes this way, you know, like something like that. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to jump back into the conversation here, uh, but really interesting way, but I think it's obviously not just the software itself as all three of you hit on. There's definitely like a, a human component, organizational leadership component. So definitely a lot of things beyond just the uh, the software. So that's going to tee us up for our next conversation and uh, start moving the conversation the conversation over to how to search for and select software that doesn't stop, that doesn't suck. Uh, and we're gonna, we've got on the screen there a few ideas on how we can start thinking about this. Um, but Rob, I know you have some very specific thoughts on this. So why don't you get us started going on this one? Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of a hot take here. So obviously I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm, I work in reliability asset management. Um, you know, when I read this slide, with especially with the APIs and interconnect, interconnectivity and that type of stuff, like honestly, like I don't care. Like for me, as as a user or someone who's who's that, I just want the output, right? And so for me, like I do want interconnectivity in a sense of like I want one place to go look for the data that I need. But in terms of how that happens. I don't particularly care. Um, I think I think the for me when I when you asked me like how do we search for a software that doesn't suck, like I think for me easy is the big key to it. Like I have I've seen a lot of CMMSs, a lot of these IoT platforms, and like I've seen like some CMMSs where you're you're going to put a defect code or a failure code in, you have a list of a thousand to put in. And when I was looking at that data earlier in my career, my number one failure mode was the top of the list. It was unknown, unknown. So it was whatever it is at the beginning, I'll pick it because I don't want to go down this list. And I've seen like a lot of people in industry, they're like, well, you just search for what you're looking for and it pops up. It's so easy. And it's like, no, like no one does that. That's not and it's not even filtered down. Like I've seen it where it hasn't even filtered down where it's like you've selected that the bearing was your thing. And so you only get a list of seven or eight. 
it's still like you're getting the list of a thousand you could pick like i had one work order a long time ago and it was they selected replace the alternator on a haul truck and then you go into the comments and it said we changed the windshield wiper blades and it was like alternator was the top on the list and it's like like this is what we're doing like we're making people's jobs harder and we're getting the output of that which is bad results and like i talk about leadership a lot and i talk about like you know like making the person's job easier and tying it to the why and and making it about them and it's like we don't do that and that's the results we get yeah you said something that uh you know has been a frequent problem that, that we deal with in our customer success team rob and it's like you know, when you ask somebody, why did you buy a CMMS? No, you know, the number one answer we get is like, well, because we needed to buy a CMMS. <laughs> like that's the answer that we get more often than, than anything else. And it's, you know, it, I don't think people are starting with like, what problem are you trying to solve? Uh, a CMMS solves a very specific set of problems. We can feed that to you. But if, if you don't know, then uh, that, like, that's where you need to start, right? If you're going to search for any tool, you got to know what what you're going to do with it and uh too often like we we see that like people are like well we you know somebody told us we need to buy a cmms so we bought a cmms great to talk to you it's like what are we working on next um which is a great attitude but also like you know that that's gonna that's not the type of buy-in or or like leadership and direction that you, that you want to see in a in a cmms project for sure well i mean it's the same thing right like it's i read in a book that it would save me 10 percent or whatever my maintenance cost, or I can improve my wrench time or whatever, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything to the shop floor people. It doesn't really mean anything even to your organization. Like I can't remember how I like, I can't count how many times I've had discussions about PM compliance and it's like, well, do your PMs even work? Like these are, there's so much more than like I do with my PM today when it's supposed to happen today that like matters before i even care about 80 percent pm compliance yeah sorry brian. are you doing the right pms on the right schedule even yeah <laughs> brian what about like bigger manufacturing picture so like i have an interesting story about um you know like I, I would call it the goal right you have to have a reason why you're buying and implementing software i talked to a company really large uh company that we would all know uh this week and we were originally talking about doing things like downtime monitoring on machines and whatever. And I kept drilling down on what the real issue was. And, and this is kind of relevant to this group. The real issue is their constrained resource is in the machines. It's, their, uh, it's the maintenance team. And the maintenance right. team has to come over and refill various consumables in these machines. And if they have to stop what they're doing in the middle and run over and do it, it screws up their whole day, right? And so really right. what you want to know, what they want to know is when is this stuff going to run out and then give me enough time to be able to plan um, that refill, right, project. Uh, because if we're, there's so much opportunity cost in taking these, these techs off of the projects they're working on and coming over and refilling this stuff, right? So I think that's really interesting because that can guide the whole discussion and everything that you're doing. And then when you add on top of that, that, to really make software work in a company, in my opinion, you need quick, small wins, right? Because it builds momentum, it builds trust in the project and everybody can get on board. 
this is the antithesis of implementing SAP, right? That takes you two years and you want to blow your freaking brains out while you're doing it. Um, <laughs> if you can get quick wins and provide value for different people, you're going to get people on board more quickly, which goes to Rob's, you know, leadership comment too. Um, so I think like having those little milestones and those goals is really important and uh, can can really help your software not, not suck, your implementation not suck. It sounds yeah. like you just need to hire someone to fill up things. Like you just have a one guy who just fills, fills up consumables all day. Yeah, I thought, why can't you have the operator do this? It doesn't seem that hard to me, but there's probably some things I don't understand. It doesn't seem like a maintenance task to me, but that's another story. Uh, when you said consumables, that was the first thought I had also, but uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you got to lock out the machine and tag it out to, to refill the consumables. I, I won't get into that, but um, but I think, you know, the, the one thing on the slide that resonates with me is like, is improving processes, right? Like, I think you guys are all saying the same thing. Like, what are we actually trying to improve? What do you actually want to get better at? Uh, trust me, I don't think anybody wants to get better at entering data into software systems. That is not the goal. And, uh, and and if that is the goal, um, I mean, there's lots of other softwares that can keep you busy. Um, but if you want to actually improve your your bottom line, your end results, um, you should you should know what the, what that is before you even go looking into the market. Yeah. I, I think less is more, also. So, like to Rob's point, right? You have you have a million or a thousand, literally a thousand reason codes. You have too many. You have no idea what happened, right? Yeah. Um, if you're having to sift through like all these different metrics and all this different data to try to find something meaningful, you don't really have any meaningful data. You can make the facts anything you want when you have that much information. So I do think less is more. Because we talked to a customer and they said the only person that can help us sort through our data right now is Google. <laughs> it's like that's too much data. That's way too much data. Yeah. Like there's a like as much as people don't think there is because like you storage is simple and the sensor like storage is cheap and the sensors are cheap and all this stuff's cheap. It's like people don't realize there's a cost to this, right? And it's like maybe it's an opportunity cost in the sense of like if you're monitoring a hundred things and if you only really needed to monitor one, you could actually monitor one and action items and do like whatever you know, whatever troubleshooting or improvement you needed to do, that's like also a cost that we're not seeing, right? So we're, we have the hundred pieces of data and we're going, oh yeah, we, we connect the whole plant and we're doing wonderfully. But like, like this question is, is everything is like, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. And like, there's a lot of sites that walk out there and they go, we bought sensors for everything because, you know, IAOT is the cool thing to do. And, and they're not actioning work. They're not actioning improvement projects. They're not like using the data to run the equipment better. Like, so then why bother? Like, that's a question that, you know, you have to ask yourself is like, how is it going to improve my process? What am I going to do with this information? And what's the ROI of having this sensor or this data or this whatever? That's like a huge piece that I think people forget. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And these things can be iterative too, right? So like you don't have to do everything everything all at once. Like get get a little yeah. bit of data, right? Make some improvements based on that. Figure out what's next. Maybe you need more, maybe you need more, or maybe you don't, right? Um, the other thing I think we're coming up on too, it'd be interesting to get your guys' opinion on this, but the system should be smarter. Like it shouldn't ask you stuff it already knows, right? 
Um, I mean, even Excel is a good example of that. Like it can fill down dates and do stuff across where you don't have to type it out. Like software in the manufacturing and maintenance world should do the same thing. Like Rob, should you really have to choose from a thousand different codes or should they be limited based on, oh, we're, it's a truck, right? <laughs> so these are the only things that can really go wrong with it versus having you know everything from valves to compressors to yada, yada, yada in that list. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you use the example I have, right? It's like, if if the asset is whatever, it sometimes like it doesn't even have a bearing or it doesn't even have a like a lot of these things, right? So why why should this be in the list? Mm -hmm. And that's the question. Like, and it just creates frustration, which leads to bad data quality, which leads to the software sucking, and then people are unhappy, and then you you end up in this loop or this cycle of of blaming the software or blaming your people for something that's, I mean, it's really a design issue or a process issue. Yeah, and processes are the hardest ones to change, especially the ones that are ingrained into like a company's DNA, right? You're, you're, you're swimming upstream all the time. So, so you guys are like working with companies, right? And like what I've seen a fair amount is companies buy software and then try to rewrite the software or edit the software to run on the current process that the company uses. Like how often do you see that? And like, what, what do you recommend with that? So in the ERP world, we used to see that a lot because there's a lot of flexibility in ERP. They're actually built to be able to do those things. Um, we went the other way in the design of ours. It's pretty rigid and we tried to build it around best practices around collecting data and different views for different folks so you can't you can't do a lot of those bad habits in the software it might limit us in terms of you know flexibility and where we could go but um, I think everybody when they look at software they should take a look at their processes and look at changing them and have that big a big and I think you guys said this but it needs to be a big focus before you even pull the software in otherwise not only are you implementing software based on old outdated processes you're also selecting software based on those processes yeah. I think the other thing that uh, that we try to do uh, at least a little bit differently is like we we hire industry people to go and do implementation and setup um, and they have the experience behind them to actually say when something doesn't make sense like you know, hey, I worked I worked in manufacturing for the last 15 years and we never did anything like this. Why are you guys doing that? And it's amazing what those those simple questions with uh, with an industry background actually do. Like if it's if it's a software guy doing a software implementation, there's there's no credibility behind that. But, uh, you know, for us having having that industry experience with with people who are savvy with the software just just can make all the difference in the world and getting people to think about things the right way is that that implementation process is huge. Right, I'm gonna jump in there. Is there any like final final remarks on that? Because we had, have had a few questions come in, so I wanna make sure we leave time for that. Let's get so. those questions. Let's get those questions. I'll, I, will, I will say, I don't think all software sucks. I don't, I don't think it's the software's problem <laughs> to, to level up the conversation. I work for a software company. Uh, I'm a little biased. I don't, I don't think it sucks. Um, but I, I do think there are opportunities for everybody to improve in, in all areas. But, uh, you know, software vendors who listen to people that they're making software for is probably the number one criteria to go out and look for. Um, all right. So we're going to transition now into Q&A. Uh, you can continue to pop them in there. Um, the first one I will uh, pass over to you, Scott. This is coming from Lori. 
her company has a lot of sites. Most of the sites use different software to do a lot of the same tasks. Um, obviously, strikes her as inefficient. Um, but she wants to sort of know, is there any way that you've seen in terms of getting people consensus to move everyone onto the same software for more efficiency? Um, well, it, it, I mean, it starts with outcomes, right? Like, what are you getting from your software um, in your in your location? Because obviously, uh, it sounds from the question like you want your software to go to these other locations, um, and and being able to share those outcomes with other plants, um, whether it's you know enhanced reliability, less downtime, um, even just easier decision making processes. These these little improvements add up a lot over time especially across big companies. And if you can save, you know, you think if you save five, 10 minutes a day per person, that's not very much, but over 20, 30, 40 locations, that's like hundreds of hours uh, a day that you're saving for, for lots of people. So um, yeah, focus, focus on the outcomes, like focus on what you're getting from that software and then share it, share it as loud and, and clearly as you can. Uh, leadership will pick up on that. It'll, it'll spread like wildfire. That's how things really get viral is, uh, you know, stand up and, and shout about what you're actually getting from an efficiency or, or a scalability perspective. Right. For me, for that one, I think I think I just want to make a point is like, I think every plant that I've ever been to says that they're a unique butterfly in some aspects. <laughs> um, and, and for me, like, I'm a big people guy, right? And I think like, people are people regardless of what plant or location or whatever. Like it doesn't matter really if you're operating a, a manufacturing plant in Toronto or one in in uh, Montana, right? And so, like, I, I think you have to really uh, like it's it's a people game, right? So, what are the people going to benefit from having that same software? And it can't be these e efficiencies. It can't be that senior management's gonna make more money. It's, it can't be that type of stuff. It needs to be at that person's level. So like, what do they benefit for? And, and like, I, I think that's a huge mistake that we make is we're making this change because it's gonna save us 10% of cost. It's like, as as a, somebody who works at the company, like, I, to be honest, like, what's my takeaway from that? Not much. So I think you have to really focus on what's in it for them and that's like the biggest thing to anything. I think I want to add one thing to that. So we have a, a bit of a mantra at Sensor Tracks. It's start small, think big, move fast. And it it applies to multi-plant implementations, I think, too. So in a multi-plant scenario, you'd start with something relatively small at a single plant, prove it out, get people used to it, understand how change management's going to work, you know, how it, you're going to involve everybody in the organization. But while you're doing that, you're planning for the future and how I go from this plant to the rest of them. Right, and then you have something really to base it off of, and you have a blueprint that you can replicate. Uh, and once you get there, once you start to get those small wins, start moving fast throughout the rest of of your company. Yeah, and if you can, like, bring in the other plants as part of that process, the first process, right? Like, if you can have your champions that are at your other plants as part of that first implementation process, they can kind of see how it works. You can get their buy-in, you know, and then that's helps you in that rollout. Well, and everybody loves a sneak peek too, right? There's nothing nothing better to, to get people excited than to be like let in on the secret. Yeah. <laughs>
Thanks. Some good insight there. Hopefully, Lori can apply to get a little more uh, software consistency in her uh, multi-site organization. Um, question here from the conversation from Mark. Um, Brian, why don't you kickstart this? Have you seen any companies successfully changed in grain processes, knowing that that's often what can also lead to creating that perception that software suck is software sucks? Is those older processes that you're trying to, uh, I guess, like now replicate in software? Uh, yeah. So yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of companies do that. It's hard. Um, a, a lot of our customers have gone through that process and. and uh, looked at software after the fact. Um, I, I think that all boils down to what Rob really has been focusing on today, which is is leadership, right? And really understanding how what you need to change and how you're going to do it. And I'd be interested in your insights on, you know, if you have kind of that um, culture that we talked about before, where I really want software to, you know, beat up my people based on the data. <laughs> How do you turn that around, right? I mean, to a certain extent, it starts at the top, but um, if you bring in some new folks, how do you how do you do that? Yeah, for me, I mean, first, I think is I want to say is like leadership training. Like, I think I think a lot of the people I see in industry right now, they're like either engineers or they're mechanics or they're operators that have been promoted up through the organization and now are in these executive roles, and they don't necessarily know the skills that you need to have to be an effective leader. So they're they're kind of following the blueprint that's been around forever, basically since I guess the industrial revolution where, you know, scientific management became a thing. Right. right? And for me, like we're moving into 2021 actually, right? And it's like we know that people drive organizations. We know that, you know, connection and emotional intelligence and these new types of leadership skills are important to get not only to drive results but to drive results over time right like if i want to drive a result for tomorrow i will give you a carrot and a stick if i want to result drive a result over five years i need to do it better i need to do it in a sustainable way and that's this caring this connection this vulnerability this trust like all these pieces have to be there and like brian you know like how do you do this like yes you have to understand these things but you have to build trust with your people and like you can like you know trust like you can break trust immediately and i think like that's the thing that we see often is these companies stand up and they say we want to be world class in whatever and then they're not willing to spend money. They're not willing to spend time. They're not willing to spend energy doing these projects. So that breaks trust. And then the other aspect is like, we want to be safe. And then you're, you're like having, like I, I was at a mine, the guy broke his leg and they had him come in the next day on light duty. So then he could, they could hit the LTI metric. And it's like, like, that's not fulfilling this culture of safety. Like, yes, you're, you're, you hit your million man hours of LTI free work, but was your site actually safer? Not really, the guy still hurt himself. So like, that's, that, those are kind of things that break trust and show you're not serious in doing what you're trying to do. The other thing too, that, that I've seen that works is back to your point earlier, Rob, it's like, like what's in it for your people. Um, yeah. I think organizationally you have to be willing to like back the people that are going to 
be open to change. Um, we've seen customers where, you know, the technicians that adopt the software the most and the most often, they're getting promoted. Um, you know, within, within, you know, a few years of deployment, I've seen some of these people go from technicians to plant managers, operations managers, because they're the ones that are willing to lead the change. And like organizationally, you have to be willing to commit to those people over the people that have just been around the longest or follow the, the way it's always been done mentality. Because, you know, if you do that, you're going to get the same results that you're always getting. So, um, you know, I think that's the, the other big thing is like there is there is something else in it for everybody that gets on board with these projects. There's the opportunity to not just change the organization, but change a lot of people's positions within it. I'll give you just a thought that uh, I've seen work lately is this gamification of software. So a few organizations I've seen have turned it into kind of a game where it's like we're going out and we're fixing CMMS data by taking pictures of the equipment nameplate or, you know, by entering this stuff and they have like leaderboards and like the guys who are filling out the most are like at the top of the leaderboard and actually like in some of these organizations the oldest guy or the longest tenured guy is at the top because he cares and it's like yeah. right and it, it works and it's not it's not an age thing like it's not like the guy has to be 22 to do it like we're seeing 55 year old 60 year olds do it so it's an option out there that you should try yeah and i think that sort of ties back into gamification and just new processes and ways of of looking at how you can roll this out and, and really just not replicate what was there before. All right, good insight. I'm gonna, we got time for, for one more question here. Um, Brian, I'm gonna kick this one back to you to get us going as well. This is from Anil, um, talking about security being a big deal for their organization and that essentially they're not allowed to touch any software without involving IT. Um, what are some red flags or how can he sort of position himself so he's not wasting time uh, in a system that IT will throw away? So any sort of tips you've learned on how to work with IT and get software successfully implemented? Yeah, so I, um, a last, the last part of that question always kind of bothers me, which is that IT has the power to just kill something that is very beneficial to the business. Like the... the <laughs> Uh, we, had a a we had one of our customers ask IT if they wanted to make the parts. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, IT should figure out how do we make it work rather than just say, no, it won't work. But uh, that's a kind of a different story. But I, I would involve IT early. So if you, you know, if you know your company is uh, like, let's say you're an aerospace company, right? You deal with a lot of confidential information, a lot of classified information, and you know your company is somewhat, they don't use cloud-based software for the most part. You better find out what the requirements are from them if the stuff, if the software you're looking at is cloud-based, right? And it'll meet their security requirements. So I think involving them relatively early in the process and really understanding what their what the policies are for your company is important. So you're not wasting a whole bunch of of time. Um, we've seen that work pretty well. Most companies today, you know, our our IT is really saying yes, and this is how we can do it, and these are the challenges associated with it, rather than saying no. Um, and you know your your software vendors have probably jumped through a lot of those hoops before, and they know how to how to do it. So I would involve them early. Awesome, thanks, yeah. Rob. Anything else to add on that as our final question? I'm with Brian. Uh, I on that one. You really nailed it, Brian. Honestly, um, I would give a lot of the same advice. I'd say uh, if you are looking at cloud-based software, uh, to to Brian's point, like yeah, we have to we have to check all those boxes. 
Um, you, you can't run a cloud-based software company these days without being, uh, you know, almost military-grade secure across the board. Uh, if you breach your security, your, your company is almost doomed. So, um, yeah, involve IT and, and, you know, software companies are very skilled at handling the IT conversations for you if you need help. All right. Well, lots of good takeaways. And, and I hope we really did uh, challenge the perception that is out there that uh, manufacturing uh, software doesn't have to suck. <laughs> uh, but definitely lots of parts that go into that beyond just the software itself. So I really want to thank everyone for their insights and in, in sharing that. And hopefully everyone realizes that the task of purchasing software is definitely not a road you need to go down alone. There's experts out here, as you can see, Brian, Scott, and Rob, in terms of a number of resources as well that can help guide you or your company through processes like that. Um, and as we get ready to wrap here, I'm going to go around and get sort of some parting final thoughts from everyone. Um, so, Rob, why don't we start with you? Um, give us a little bit of a final thoughts and, and also maybe share what do you have coming up next that you're working on? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, like I'm hammering the people aspect, the leadership aspect. I think that that's just from what I've seen in industry over my career, I think it's a huge issue. And it's for me, it's the reason that we have the results that we have. And, and it's basically like every, it seems like every plan I go to, we're not getting the results we deserve. And the technical knowledge that's out there in industry is good enough where this shouldn't be an issue. So I see it as a leadership problem and that's where I'm going with this. Um, if you're on this live, up until Friday, I have, we're running a leadership course. You can sign up until Friday. Uh, the leadership course will start next week, but you can go to robsreliability.com slash leadership. It's a 12 week online course and we're gonna teach you this stuff. So people centric, mission driven leadership. We're, we have a mindset piece as well. So then we can really get to the actual root of what you're doing. Like that's the one thing I think is, is not addressed in a lot of not only leadership courses, but courses in general is you've made decisions your whole life based on these set of beliefs that you have and nothing addresses those. So this will get to those, we'll get to what you, why you make decisions that you make. And then if you can change the why you can get there. So that's where I'm at. And then if you want to obviously listen to the podcast, Rob's Reliability Project, you can find it on your favorite podcast platform. I'm also offering some reliability engineering consulting too. So if you want that, you can either go to robsreliability.com and send me a contact us, or you can send me an email, uh, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. <laughs> I do this all the time. Time like to join us today with juggling all those balls, but we'll definitely include uh, links for everyone uh, in our follow-up emails on that. Um, Scott, I'm going to go to you and give final word to Brian. So, Scott, any word? I, I know that you do work for software, so I'm glad you do believe <laughs> that uh, manufacturing software doesn't have to suck. Uh, anything beyond that? <laughs> yeah. So, you can find me at uh, fixsoftware.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I will say, if you're worried about the purchasing process or, or getting through the navigating the purchasing process we have you know one to two thousand conversations a month with different prospects different customers that are navigating this uh, our teams are really really experienced in, in helping navigate all the challenges all the change management hurdles that that you need to get locked in before you even consider uh, signing up for a software platform 
Um, and if you want to reach out to me directly, you can you can ask whoever calls. See, so if you go to our website and fill in a contact us form, I guarantee you'll get a call. You can ask to speak to me directly. I'll hop on the phone, uh, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive there as well. So I'm happy to help uh, kind of steer your ship through these murky waters. Thank you, Scott. And yes, you are super informative and helpful. So I definitely second that as someone to reach out to. You're too kind. Uh, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, since you are the reason we're all here today, you kickstarted this conversation. I feel it's very fitting to give you the final words in terms of the overall topic and also maybe can share some exciting things that are happening with sensor tracks these days. Yeah. So um, as I think we've nailed pretty hard here. Manufacturing software doesn't have to suck. There's a lot of different things that you can do to make sure that it doesn't. Um, I am also very active on LinkedIn. I talk a lot about, you know, software, manufacturing, business, leadership, sales. Um, so please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very, you know, I'd love to talk to you about software or anything else. Um, SensorTrax is a real-time uh, manufacturing productivity and analytics application. We take data from machines and people on the factory floor and tell you where you have uh, problems throughout your whole process. Um, so sensor tracks, just Google it spelled correctly, even though the company name is not spelled correctly and you will find us. Uh, we recently sure. released for anybody that's in the food and beverage business, we released a, a starter kit that you can self implement uh, to get good real time information on your production lines. Uh, so check that out on our website if you're in the food and bev industry. Excellent. And I believe our team just put those in the chat box so everyone can pick up all of those uh, websites. We're also going to be sending you a follow-up email, so we'll also include all of those links in there, uh, as well as finding the ways to connect with the uh, panelists on LinkedIn. So thank you to all three of you. I hope to have all three of you back again for a future conversation on the next iteration of uh, building on what we got into today. Uh, for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope that you're able to feel more empowered and excited about the prospect of bringing in uh, a new software to your organization and how you can influence uh, that process. Uh, and the process is associated with the new software as well, because uh, definitely there's a way to make this not suck. And as you heard that from everyone today. So thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Until next time. Bye -bye.